This is the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. My name's Ellie Greeny. And my name's Sandra Patel-Stewart. On this podcast, we will be interviewing some of the UK's greatest tech leaders. We'll be discussing war stories, battle scars, and their learnings from their journeys. Hopefully, you will pick up some great tips, learn from others' experiences, and have a good laugh along the way. everyone thank you very much for tuning into the let's talk leadership podcast we are super happy this week to have rob knight on the show so rob is a solution development and data management director at experian across emea i am sure you are all aware of experian but they are a multinational consumer credit reporting company offering decisioning and analytics tools across the markets hello rob hi ellie thank you very much for having me yeah, no, we're super happy to have you on the show. And this is the first time that you've met Sandra as well. Hi, Rob. Yep. Nice to you. Uh, I have to finally put a face to the name that's uh, been mentioned a number of times in the office by the lovely Ellie. Um, yeah. All, yeah. All, all good things, all positive. Um, but um, yeah, yep. really nice to finally meet you. Well, I had the pleasure, pleasure of helping you support, too. Rob. Was it about a year and a bit ago, Rob, when you joined Experian? I think, um, I think we first crossed paths around about two years ago, yeah. So you yeah. kindly helped me find this role, so thank you very much for that. But yeah, I think we started our journey together uh, about June last year, oh, June two years ago, so quite a while. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so I always like to kick these um, discussions off with um, finding out a bit more about you, your journey, um, I guess how it all started, like how did you get into tech? Where did it all start? And then if you could just give us an overview of where you've got where you, where you went from where it all started to where you are today. Uh, sure. So um, I'm a geek, right? So that's the first thing to offer out there. So that there's no doubt in anyone's mind. I had pigeonholed myself at quite a young age. I liked maths. I liked technology bit of sci-fi on TV, great, I'll sit in front of that and I'll absorb it all. And then from that, I always had this like, desire to learn and, and understand. So um, it makes it sound like I had a big career trajectory planned and always knew what I wanted to do. Not really, I just knew what I was, felt I was good at and wanted to do that. So um, that helped me decide through school what I wanted to do. So science, maths, had a nat- relatively natural aptitude for it. And then that led me to engineering. So um, what really kicked my interest was computer games. Like lots of other people nowadays growing up, um, the difference being when I was growing up, these games were very much just pixels on a screen moving around. But I loved the interactivity. I loved the the fun and joy it could bring. So I was like, yeah, okay, this is going to be fun. I'll do some software engineering, some computer science, and I'll get into computer games. So I went to university had an amazing time i mean not only to learn but uh, <laughs> one of the one of the main things for university for me was um even though i knew i liked technology i didn't have my heart set on a career and those three years were really really important for me to try and hone in as to what i'm going to do and why and see if i did get that moment of inspiration that you hear other people get right i'm still waiting on that so if that comes at any point <laughs> Uh, maybe I could come back and let you know about that, but I'm still waiting lessons. for that epiphany. You get lots of life yeah. lessons as well, don't you, from going to uni, and that helps you shape and 
kind of shape you as a person and decide what you want to to do indeed right so i i had to look after myself for the first real time right <laughs> i've been very fortunate but then realizing that money is needed to buy stuff and to have a house and other things that that helped change my direction a bit because mm. computer games people do it for free right it's a passion it's a hobby and there isn't necessarily a huge amount of money in there mm. so when i first went into university it was 1999 the world was rosy the internet's be getting bigger and bigger halfway through my studying uh, the dot-com bubble crashed right so all of a sudden this huge industry where there were loads of jobs contracted so i applied for numerous graduate schemes i tried lots of different things and, and i didn't get in, right? I, uh, I tried all of the big names I wanted to work in from a gaming world, but unfortunately, again, they had people who were brighter than me, who were probably a better fit for what they wanted. So I, I went back home um, and I found a job at a company I'd been working at in the summer holidays. So they were a very small company. They produced radio consoles for big, big um, corporations like the BBC, and they produced digital um, timing system so that you could have the perfect time so that when you're a radio presenter you're able to know exactly when the top of the hour is and when the switch is so i went there and started working partly during the summer holidays whilst at university but then pretty much full-time straight after there um, and whilst it wasn't a very high paid job at all it was fantastic for experience it gave me the real grounding in using those things I'd learned about and mm -hmm. seeing how to put them into practical implementation. So I got to work on lots of great projects and travel the world into China, installing radio stations, customizing the software and products, making sure it all worked. Um, BBC World Service in Prague. This was before the European Union. Prague was an incredible city that was even cheaper back then mm -hmm. before they joined the EU than now. Um, and then there is other areas. Even Bangor in Wales was one of our projects. That was great. <laughs> but I was, there for, I was there for three years. I was the only software developer. The opportunities for me there were I either run the company, which wasn't going to happen anytime soon, or I need to move on to grow. And that's why I decided to leave after three years to go to Ericsson. So Ericsson, who are the big telecommunications provider, who um, you've no doubt heard of as well. <laughs> um, and that, that was a big shift. I've gone from a small, tiny company, yeah, a one-man-and-a-dog show. Exactly. It was very different, right? They, you had so many people doing so many different things. And I, it took me a while to adapt because I was used to just doing it all myself. Yeah. That meant that <laughs> the can-do attitude was good, but it meant um, I, wasn't, um, I wasn't the best team player when I first went there. And that's really what helped ground me, that learning. I think also part of the reason I got that job was because of the experience I'd gained. Again, academically, I'd, I'd done all right. right? I'd, I'd done enough to pass those gates that you need to get through to go into A-levels, to go to university. But the experience really helped pay off and show that I was capable of delivering in that role. I think something, the real big checkpoint there, or the, real, the closest thing I'd come to an epiphany in that role was we did a lot of training influencing negotiation skills, learning about yourself, uh, learning how to deal in different situations, time management. And from those multiple different insights profiles um, that you can run, your disk analysis, I realized that, yeah, I'm, I'm a geek, but actually I quite like people too. And 
it sounds ridiculous, about 23, 24 years old. But, well, actually, no, I was yeah, 24, 25, but I thought, oh, yeah, maybe I'm not the exact person I thought I was. I pigeonholed myself really early. And maybe there's something in this working with people instead of just with technology. And that's when I started to change my career trajectory a bit. I'd, I'd been coding up until then. So embedded C, Java, SQL, Linux, Windows servers, um, different types of delivery mechanisms, tools. And then I thought, actually, right, this is where I need to push myself. So I started moving into product management, project management, more about the people problems than it is about the technology problems and starting to get satisfaction out of there. So I got the chance at um, Ericsson, and that was great. They gave me the chance to grow. They gave me the chance to run projects. And then from there, I really started to get a, a hunger again to learn more. Um, I was... Uh, so about two and a half, so I was at Ericsson for five years. After two and a half years in that project manager role, I was walking down the street. I walked past the window of a Vodafone shop and I saw this HTC device, right? One of the first smartphones. It had a touch screen. Uh, again, ludicrous by technology standards nowadays. But back then, this 3.2 inch screen was incredible. And um, I, made it my, I made it my task to get a job at HTC. I wanted to work there. I wanted to work in innovation. I wanted to work on the cutting edge. And after uh, a few rounds of trying, um, I got in. I mean, I joke about it now with them. And I'm still in contact with them, who was my boss at the time and my boss at the end. But I applied directly on the website a few times. But until I went through an agency, they didn't look at it. So <laughs> they, could have, they, could have, they could have got me directly, but no. It was a recruitment agency out. to work. And, yeah. But that, but that was... <laughs> Exactly. Well, that's, that's the point I realized the value of the work that you guys do, right? And the value <laughs> that agencies can bring because it's not necessarily about having the opportunity, it's the attention and people paying attention to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, HTC product management, great. Started working in a different industry, proper telecommunications, um, really, really um, at the cutting edge of innovation and stuff that's never been done before. And at the time, it was really cool, right? We got these new products. Um, these new ways of doing things, people were getting excited. Um, we as an organization were winning awards left, right, center, and we were growing. Right? When I joined, we were quite small and we were changing a bit of customization here and there in EMEA. Um, but across that role, I got the opportunity to grow, lead a team of people. And my role when I first joined there was talking to the mobile operators. Um, and as you probably remember as well, having to do heavy customization on a device. So T-Mobile at the time or Vodafone had a load of apps that I'm sure they felt were worthwhile, but many people didn't really want, but that's their way in which they guaranteed their presence on the device. So there was a lot of negotiation, a lot of very, very, very tight timelines to make sure we could go from the initial release to the delivery, to realizing the potential of the product and selling it. So. When I first started there, it was tens of thousands of devices. When we really peaked in about 2013, we were shipping millions and millions and millions of products across the markets that I was responsible for. Um, in HTC, I took a bit of a journey as well. So I started off just doing the customizations of the devices, but then I got the opportunity as the company grew to lead different areas and different divisions. So initially in the operator accounts, making sure we we're customizing for what is now EE, Vodafone, O2, 
So moving into our open market products, so what would have been phones for you and car phone warehouse, running the engineering team there, so all of that huge amount of validation, testing, um, all of the work to make sure that this is going to work in the market, this is going to perform well, into then also after sales, and then eventually the operations of the product and engineering end-to-end. And all in all, I was at HTC for, for eight years. So it was a long time. Why did you um, join HTC out and what did you leave at? So I joined in, I checked this on my LinkedIn profile earlier just to make sure I got the dates right. I joined at the start of 2010 um, and I left in 2018. Okay. So that was the real, the real boom and bust of the mobile Were you industry. a PM when you joined? Yes. So um, the official title was Commercialization Product Manager. But effectively, yes. Mm-hmm. So, so was, the, so um, all your background was predominantly telecom. Well, I guess at the start, the first few years, you were more kind of hands-on development. But, but industry-wise, it was predominantly telecoms, and then you went into financial services. Exactly, yeah. yes. So um, mm-hmm. the, the path so far has been broadcast. The high availability, you know, radio stations, They've got to work all the time, right? Mm. They are not happy people if a mixer stops working and they're not broadcasting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then into telecommunications. And that's a very different world, right? There's a much higher risk mindset in telecommunications. You know, you don't want to lose service. But again, it's not the same as losing uh, an audience because they flick to a radio channel that you're not broadcasting on. Mm. And then even more importantly now in financial services, um, you've got to be available 24 by 7. You've got to make sure people have the opportunity to access what they need to access. Your clients, um, your customer base, the data you hold has to be you know, completely accurate. So it's, it's been a very, very different industry change. Um, and working in those really small companies to those large organizations, those big matrix organizations where you try and get things done through lines and through projects and navigating your way through there i mean it is fascinating uh, comparing and contrasting how you would do something somewhere to somewhere else and then really using that experience to know how is best to get the job done so i'll finish off my journey quickly sorry i know obviously if i do start boring you then just stop me (laughs) um no you're very uh, well thank you very much (laughs) so we left i left htc in uh, 2018 because I, I has I done I've completed what I wanted to achieve there to some extent I'd managed to learn about the end-to-end operations of a business that's what fascinated me right so why are decisions made I started to understand why decisions were made on not only the pricing but also the type of decisions made on components on the type of decisions made of partnerships so having that end-to-end view from concept to end of life was amazing for me because it got me to really deeply understand business and how it all comes together. And I wanted to test those skills I'd learned. So I'd, I'd been there for a while and I went to a smaller company to test those skills. And that's why I moved to a company called Geoslam based in Nottingham um, who do 3D laser scanning equipment. Again, something that's really cool, something that was very much at the forefront of what they were doing, a very um, disruptive technology because it gave the industry to do things faster, the opportunity to 
reduce their cost base whilst improving the quality of output. And I wanted to go there and really help the, that company grow in that evolution. Um, yeah, and that's what I did for a good few months there. Um, but then uh, I got um, contacted out of the blue by Ellie. <laughs> and <laughs> this, this fantastic opportunity experience um, came up. And at the time, I, I was, I was to toying with the idea. I mean, um, I'd worked in the big corporations before, but I thought that this, was, this role is a great challenge, great fun day today. And again, that test that I was looking for um, from when I moved to from when I moved to GSLAM. and uh, yeah, it's been um, a fantastic decision, right? I enjoy every day. Every day is completely packed. So again, thank you for doing this recording this time in the evening. Um, but it is, um, yeah, it's it's great. It's the opportunity again to work with multiple different cultures, and I really miss that when. Uh, when I left HTC. So being across EMEA, having the chance to deal with different teams in different areas, in different markets, in different countries, um, it's great. Again, it's something that really interests me as we, as I mentioned before, about learning more about myself and enjoying the, mm. the people side of things, understanding how different, um, different organizations, but then different cultures approach problems fascinates me, especially from working in the Far East and then through Eastern Europe and America, having to tailor your communications to be able to make the most out of a situation or to be able to get alignment, it's mm -hmm. fascinating. Fantastic. Sounds like you've had a very interesting, fascinating, diverse um, background and, and career journey, um, working lots of different areas, like you say, with different people, cultures, environments, um, which, is, which is great. Um, so... With regards to people, in fact, um, in your current role, what, what size team are you responsible for um, in your current role? Yeah, so directly, it's around about 150. So that's a direct team of engineers, project managers, business analysts, um, programs, and data management. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a, quite a large direct team. Indirectly, mm -hmm. the budget for the area I operate in is around about 300 people so there's there's two different hats i wear right there's the like a practice owner to make sure that things are done in the most efficient way across all of the markets and then i have my direct team which are responsible for some of the big transformation projects we do mm -hmm. some of the innovations into those new platforms ellie that you mentioned at the start in terms of decision analytics and open banking and other opportunities so it's a very diverse role, which is great for me because I love the diversity. Um, but like any job, there, there's always the challenge there, right? There's always, um, there's always those strains of how do I get a really good communication and message for 350 people that's going to be relevant across every country? How do yeah. I align these things? There's, there's these fascinating, again, human problems that need to be solved to maximize the team's efficiency. Uh -huh. Okay. So, so obviously directly you have 150. Um, I think the viewers and the listeners would probably be really interested to understand in more detail um, how you lead those 150, like what your leadership style is. And also 
what would they say about you? How would they describe your leadership style? Uh, honestly, it depends on the day. <laughs> but I think it's, uh, on the whole, it should be, should be broadly positive. I mean, the leadership is, again, a really interesting concept to me because you can, you can break it up however you want it, right? And it means so many different things to different people. So my flavor of it is I really see there's two types of leader, right? There's your inspirational leader who tries to give people um, things to aspire to, things to drive towards. So using leadership as a concept and a framework for people to work in whilst achieving what they're going to do, right? If you have a team of 150 people, um, you're not going to be able to tell everyone exactly what to do, nor should you. But the way in which they should engage with each other, the way in which they should go about trying to deliver, that building that determination and grit to be able to get to the end of result, that knowing that high performance will be rewarded, that comes through communication and building trust and really helping people understand the value they add. Now, I use the term inspirational leader there as, a, as an ideal case. I try and fit into that category because... I think it's worked really well with me and it's worked well with people in the past. I think there are downsides to working that way, but I'll come to that in a moment. And I see the other type of leader as really someone who is probably a bit more nurturing, is more like a, a, a shepherdess or a shepherd, bringing people together and making sure they're all moving in that direction. And they all get there. And it all works and you don't lose a sheep, right? And that is, a, again, a very good style if that works for you. I think the, the downside with like, the aspirational bit is sometimes um, it can be perceived that you are trying to drive people too hard, right? Whereas actually what you want is to have a really high bar and people to get, get there ideally, but get as close as they can through maximizing their own potential. And that's, why I try and approach things that way. I get my satisfaction now, not from completing the software problem like it used to be in the past, but by enabling people. Can I give someone the chance to realize whatever their dream is or give them the opportunity to learn something they want to or help steer them so that they can be better? That's how I see my role as a leader. And then more importantly, in a way, is, to enable the people who to report into me or the people who report into them to be able to do the same, to give people access and to build an environment where you can make people ideally realize their dreams from that amazing epiphany they had of, oh, I want to be um, the best developer in this field. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I see leadership and how I try and deploy that is communication, is through being available or being as available as, as possible, is being accessible. And I don't just mean that by oh yeah, email or calls, it's by pre-COVID-19, traveling around, mm -hmm. going to see people, making sure you can build that rapport, giving them the chance to, to really understand you and you to understand them and, and really get underneath what makes the business tick. I think, the, I think I've seen in the past lots of mistakes in leaders coming in and just assuming they know everything and not understanding what limitations or restrictions have been in the past and 
the job as that leader is to break down those inhibitors, mm -hmm. to break down those things that are stopping people being able to achieve. So, yeah, the, the aspirational, more bulldozer-type leader just trying to remove roadblocks, that's more my style and how I see leadership working. I think there's horses for courses, right? You do need to change and adapt depending on what's going on, but that's my natural and preferred way. As long as you, obviously everyone's got their different style and different approach, haven't they? But as long as you're doing your style to the best of your ability and for the best suited for your team, that's the most important thing about leadership, right? So that's, that's the most important thing. And obviously you've discussed your career and it's vast and you've worked for some amazing companies and clearly progressed well. Um, but we all know that through your kind of darkest days, you have your, you learn the most about yourself and the most, I guess, about your career, career development is done through adversity and challenges. So it'd be good if you can kind of tell us a war story that you think you got your biggest learning from or something that really impacted you and made you have a think about your approach and you learned a lot from. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a couple, I think there's, um, <laughs> I think the, the time I learned the most, is always when it's the biggest challenge, right? Or when you have convinced yourself something's not possible. I mean, that's always, that's always the hardest one. And I, I had a moment like that when I was in the very early days of my career. I've mentioned installing a radio station in China, right? But, um, went over to China with a load of equipment, with some software, installed it. It didn't work. Um, I thought that couldn't work out why it didn't work. It didn't work. And the company was small. So if we didn't get paid for that job, it's all over, right? Game over yeah. for the company. And, you on your own um, in China? Did you get sent on your own over there? Oh, no. I've been over there a few times on my own, but this time I think I was with the MD, so it was okay. Yeah. Although, awesome. in terms of, you know, I, I, um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily help with the pressure. Yeah. <laughs> it's his company. Um, <laughs> but, the, uh, but, yeah, we're over there and it's, you, you put it all together. It goes, yeah, it doesn't work. So you've got a week to make this work, to get the customer to sign it off so that they can start broadcasting um, and so that the company can get paid so it can continue to be sold and then work. And, and that really became the, uh, that I had a few sleepless nights over that. And I'd managed to work myself up into, uh, into the situation where it, it felt like the whole world was on me. Again, I was 20, 22, 23. I was lying in the hotel room, not being able to sleep. And then, um, then it dawned on me, which is, uh, I can only actually do my best in this situation, right? So, yeah, maybe, maybe all of this is a consequence and this can happen and that can happen and that can happen. But I'll tell you what, if I don't try, then it certainly is going to fail. But, so if I do nothing, it's game over. So I should do something and try and work through the problems. And, and I think after a couple of days, um, I've had that going around my head. I started to really get to grips with it, diving in, finding the problems, getting through. And then it wasn't satisfaction at the end. It was more relief, but I got there. And that, even though it was very, very early on, I think that was the biggest learning because there's a lot of times, especially nowadays, right, when you are, you are sometimes your own company, um, you are with yourself days on end, that people can be their harshest critics there's a place for it. And I think there is, 
a positive out of being very introspective and critical of what you do because you can learn from it, but there needs to be a line that you have drawn yourself to say, this is what I'm willing to accept the self-pressure, but this is how I'm going to get out of it because I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can to make this come off. And I refer back to that time mentally a lot. <laughs> Even how close to the wire were you then? Because your MD said you had a week to get it sorted. How close to the wire were you at the end of it? I think we, we went a bit longer than the week. So the <laughs> wire got extended a touch. But, you know, that's what weekends are for, right? And even, <laughs> the end um, no, it definitely. got done right the key the key the key was to get it done and, and it got done and it wasn't um and again it wasn't the end of the world it was something again that has helped me helped me develop the way i wanted to yeah definitely um yeah it sounds like that must have been a tough old trip to china but um i think it's really interesting obviously when covid first kind of hit the uk and and things started changing in the market. I was really fortunate to be able to speak to you one day that I was really struggling and you gave me some fantastic advice, which made me feel so much better about the situation that I was currently in. And I was in the position where I was rescinding office offers and it wasn't a good day, was it, Sandra? And not you were there to help me out. Not one of the best. One of the best days. And you helped me out of it. But it'd be interesting to find out what's the most valuable piece of advice that someone's given you. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad it helped. It was just a chat, right? But the, you can always find a positive, right? There's always, there's always got to be a positive, um, even when you are going through the worst professional day of your life, right? And that's something, um, something I try and tell people all the time is there's got to be something good out of today, even if it means you finish at half four and it's been terrible. At least you've got a bit of extra time for yourself. Um, the um, my old boss at HTC, he's someone who. Um, who I really clicked with after a while, right? We, we had a, a turbulent relationship, but in a very good way in that he would push me. He would push me. He'd push all the right buttons with me to make me be better. He would find all of the right mechanisms. And I think the best advice he ever gave me was never believe your own hype, right? You might think you're doing a good job, but in reality, it's how people perceive your work. It doesn't matter how hard you're working. Um, it doesn't matter how much you've achieved. If people don't think you're doing all of that, then it's just going unnoticed behind the scenes. So what he was trying to teach me there was, all right, it was a case of, I was, I was complaining. I was like, oh, look, mm-hmm. you know, I'm working every hour. I'm doing this. You know I'm doing great. He went, yeah, but... I don't want to be here forever, right? And if I don't want to be here forever and you want to push yourself to the next level and you want to have opportunities, then you're going to have to make sure that people understand the value you add. Yeah, I can talk about you as much as I like with them. That's great. And yeah, they they know you're all right, right? So that's fine. But when I go, no one's going to be doing that for you. You need to start doing this for yourself. And I'm like a lot of British people, right? I'm not great with the... with the self-promotion. I certainly wasn't. I'm not great with, um, I like to try and be humble right, as much as possible. So it was a real eye opener for me. And that's why it was the best advice because it was a real blind spot. I did not know how to get to the next level of my job or give me the opportunities in the future. And that opened my eyes to be able to say, 
that's the way, right? That's what I'm gonna have to do. Now, it can be deployed very negatively and you don't wanna get, um, I don't try not to get caught in that trap of just doing the self-promotion. You always have to be able to back it up with reality and with doing that great job. But there is no harm in people understanding that you're doing that great job and you're working and that you're adding a huge amount of value. And that's interesting, actually, because I was um, reading an article today that was all about how tech in COVID, the businesses, enterprise organizations are really opening their eyes to the value that tech are bringing. And it's the opportunity right now for tech teams to shine and finally, I guess, take all the glory for all the hard work that they've been doing for years because they're doing it in the background. But self-promotion, is, it is like you say, it's a tricky one. You need to do it in the right way, but it's super important to be able to progress and develop in your career long term. Um, so great. Fantastic. Um, so I think it'd be really interesting for the listeners to, um, and for us to understand more about what makes, what drives you, what makes you tick, what are you passionate about um, and where's that come from? You know, I guess, I guess we've all, we're all shaped and we all kind of head on a journey that's kind of come from a background or a childhood or, you know, something that may have, you know, kind of given us that grit and, and passion and um, to be good to understand a little bit more about, about you from that perspective. Okay, cool. I mean, um, it's something that I've heard in some of your other podcasts, especially the Women in Tech podcast, where I also have imposter syndrome, right? I also regularly doubt myself mm. and think maybe it's just all been luck that I've managed to get here. Right, Flesh? Right, Chat? Number of times I've said now, that myself. <laughs> yeah. And, now, and, now, I'm, and now, I'm, now I'm grossly out of my depth. And then again, I try and calm myself down and say, oh, no, actually, this is from experience. This is from learning. This is from, this is from um, doing that hard work and adding that value. So the, how what drives me, frankly, is failure. It is not achieving what I think I'm capable of. And it is, um, again, this is part of trying to understand myself better, learning that I have a real issue with letting people down, like a real issue um, uh, naturally. So I use that to a strength to make sure that when I am trying to do something for someone, enabling someone else's career or delivering something for the business, I want to do it. Uh, it's a commitment I've made to be able to do it. It's not something I want to slip. It's not something that I enjoy when goes wrong. I am focused to be able to deliver it. And I use that kind of imposter syndrome to help push me to say, this is how, because uh, I'm constantly imagining how things are going to fail. It helps me protect against those failures yeah. to be able to then deliver. And um, I use it as a, a mechanism like that. But going back to, say the passion mm. it is understanding how things work i just want to understand how right? how did they do that i can get um i get enthralled by packaging sometimes right so i know it sounds ridiculous <laughs> but from my time at htc um we, we didn't just deal with the phones right we deal with the boxes the sleeves the uh user guides the men the uh, manuals um safety guides headphones so making sure you had optimal packaging is a fantastic puzzle and a problem, right? What's the best way of filling this box? What's the best way of doing that? So anytime I come across any new type of packaging now, I 
I'm fascinated by it. Right, why have they done that? Okay, so that's so they can get more in shipping containers to be able to get over here, so it's lower cost. Oh, they've done that to stand out so they can stack more on the shelves like that. So even very menial things, I always want to understand how. And that's what's, um, that's what's driven me, I suppose, from being a bit more of a geek and into technology because it's, I don't like, um, I'm a bit worried about the future, if I'm honest, because a lot of people take technology for granted, right? And as you were saying earlier, you know, some, some companies now are giving plaudits out to the tech people who've made it work. I know our people have done a fantastic job to be able to make sure everyone can work from home. Mm-hmm. And it was no mean feat. And they turned that around in effectively hours, right? I mean, it's incredible. But not understanding how things work means we could become a bit dependent um, on maybe other countries or other interests. And that's why I'm really passionate or I really enjoy what you're doing in specifically in Leeds. And I want to see more of it in other markets because I think that understanding why and how is key to unlocking the potential of the future for, for anyone. Fantastic. Um, obviously you've had a amazing career, but what has been, and like, obviously fixing the issue over in China must have been a pretty big, I mean, I'm sure there was a big celebration between you and the MD after that one. But what would you say has been your greatest achievement today? Um, I'd love to say there's been so many, but <laughs> in reality, it's just the job, right? Your job is to deliver your project. So it's hard. Um, I think it, it ends up being um, a matter of, say, flashback moments you look at. So, yeah, China's one. Um, launching um, the HTC One M7, which was a metal phone. It, uh, it won a huge amount of awards in the industry and being responsible for the go-to-market of that, that was big. But again, that wasn't something I did on my own. Mm. I think the, the greatest achievements, I'd say, are some of the people who I've helped um, improve their career chances or given them opportunities or... I'll say taking a gamble on them, but seeing their potential and giving them the chance to actually realize it. And through, you know, I've done a bit of this experience. It's only been a while, I did a bit of it at GSLAN, but through that longevity at HTC, I had the chance to really drive, bringing in talent, giving them the opportunity and getting them to grow and seeing um, how some of those people have developed and what, they, um, what they're doing now is a really big, you know, personal satisfaction and reward for me. I think that's, that's where I see it. It's hard to put it on one delivery because your job is to deliver. But again, that leadership, that nurturing, um, that's where that's where I think I've probably added the value I wanted to add. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, no, it's nice to be able to help and support people and get them to where they want to be, which is really important. Um, obviously, a big role. You're working across multiple time zones, so that takes its toll. You're always busy, so how do you look after yourself rob what keeps you sane and healthy and how do you manage the stress of it all depends on the day again <laughs> it really depends on the day i think um so i like i like traveling right so i really like going around visiting seeing people face to face and i will sacrifice a lot of personal time to be able to do that right and i'm glad to do it because Again, I, I enjoy that contact and I enjoy that time. And if anything, that helps me de-stress because it, it helps solve problems faster. Now, 
I like to also exercise, right, and try and run. Um, I've had a bit of a foot injury, but that should be healing up soon. So walking now. So getting out, walking, listening to podcasts, watching some rubbish sci-fi series on Netflix. I do that a lot. Um, just basically escapism from the day to day. That's what really helps. I mean, we are in a 24 by 7 world, right? So it's I'm contacting on weekends, late into evenings. And again, that's part of the role. So using the time I have to, to you know, declutter my mind by thinking about nothing, that really helps. It's hard though, isn't it, when the role's that demanding and you've, you've got a young family as well. So managing that, that must be difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, pre-COVID-19, we had a lot of football, which was good. So kids' football is fantastic. <laughs> Doing that coaching getting out, getting frustrated about something else other than work and why aren't you passing at the right time? Come on, shoot. Um, that, that's really good. That's a great outlet. Um, do you watch it as uh, well? Not, not just for me. I, I do watch it. I do watch it. I'm, not a, uh, I'm a Tottenham fan. I'm not a Liverpool United fan. I'm a Tottenham <laughs> fan. And I am... Oh, don't mention that. Oh, my God. I got so much stick for saying Liverpool United. You're never going to live that one down, are you? Really? I'm never going to live think that one. I think it's a good test to make sure that the people you have on have listened to previous podcasts. So yes, that should be exactly. the ongoing joke forever, right? It's a good joke to have. <laughs> but yeah, watching football sounds really love that. And um, yeah, going to the stadium, making a day of it. Yeah, that's always good too. Again, it's... Um, What's really interesting, I do take a lot of, um, say, leadership or inspiration from sport. Sport is a fascinating place to check, check in with resilience. You have a, a fixed game, you have rules, and then how people's temperament, how they approach things is a really good marker of some of the skills you can learn. So if we're talking, say, um, in terms of people I admire, a lot of them come from sport because you get to see someone put it all on the line, completely laid bare, come back against adversity. And then I find that really inspiring. I find that really inspiring. Um, and I like to use a lot of sporting analogies in work, right? especially when describing a problem. Right? When you're doing that translation of something really technical and a real big issue and you're trying to get the senior exec to buy into it, a football analogy, a cricket analogy, a tennis analogy really works well because you start to be able to really get people to see the context of the issue and what's going on. That's great. Fantastic. <laughs> um, so last, last one for you then, Rob. Um, you've obviously you've had a great, great career. You've done lots and lots of, um, had different roles, delivered lots of um, obviously um, exciting projects. Um, what's, the next kind of what's on the agenda next for you what's what are you excited about what big plans have you got coming up it's a very good question because i don't know and <laughs> i never know right so again i've got a lot of a lot of things i want to do and deliver right we've got a lot of work to get through for the rest of this year and the rest of the financial year but myself yeah i i don't know i want to make sure that um <laughs> again i can i can i can give people opportunities right and i can help the team grow and i can hit some of those commitments um but i think i've i've always i've tried setting out a roadmap for myself right i've tried in the past saying oh this is what i want to be doing by this age this is what i want to be doing there and 
if anything, I found it debilitating because it came, well, I've missed that checkpoint. It's so, hard, isn't it? Like, yeah. so quick like you just don't yeah it's just there before you know it what about what about outside of work is there anything have you got anything that you're excited about looking forward to outside of work or you well from <laughs> the uh from the 17th of june the premier league's back so football <laughs> that'll be good to see again oh, and the eventual restarting of the kids is it like, because... like two or three games a week or a day or something like me and Sandra's oh, dreading yeah. it. Yeah, I'm oh, dreading no, it. Well, enjoy it up that. until then, right? There's a good chance, you know, perhaps if things do unfortunately get worse, it will all be cooled off. But you still have nearly a month to enjoy without football. <laughs> I am. Um, I, it's, it's really, again, another boring insight into me, right? My, um, my mood can be so dictated by football. Uh, a good result, I'm happy. A bad result, an underperformance, I'm sad. Yeah. I don't know the players personally. Right? I don't, I've never <laughs> met the manager. Uh, you know, I, I get told I was brought up this way. But again, something having something external in your life, again, for the de-stress really yeah. helps because it's a fantastic distraction for me. Yeah. And, it's only a de-stress um, if they're winning. <laughs> oh, yeah, but then, no, it's I a different type of stress if they lose, right? So it's fine. <laughs> amazing perfect well thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak to us um rob it's been fab yeah. having you on the show. thank you so much it's been really interesting rob if people uh, want to get in touch and ask you any questions are you is it best via linkedin or are you on twitter or a linkedin is definitely the best you're yeah. not on twitter are you i tried to look for you earlier actually no no no, no. i mean uh, no no, 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 I like I've only just joined. I make it sound like I'm a regular. <laughs> I've only no, just set it up. I really like I really like LinkedIn because again it's mainly yeah. professional and it's good about technology. Um Twitter because of lots of stuff that goes on and goes around there and mainly again football banter related can be very distracting mm-hmm. so i try and stay off there <laughs> good idea yeah perfect well if anyone wants to get in touch it's just rob knight at experian um, so they can message you on linkedin but yeah it's been fantastic having you on the show and catching up um and thank you very much for speaking with us thank you yeah, thank you very much for your time nice pleasure you. it's been great to catch up <laughs>